Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 191 of All Booked Up, the Buffalo and Erie County Public Library's podcast about books, movies, and all things pop culture. I'm your host, Michelle Snyder. And I am Jacob Marico. <laughs> Jacob, oh. thank you for starting this day off <laughs> with Oh, I'm glad you're. I'm glad you're feeling good there, Michelle. I almost <laughs> break my nose with the headphones twice, twice. <laughs> you see, when someone hurts themselves one time, I can maybe be an adult about it and just be like, "Hey, that's life." But when you did it immediately after, yeah, quick succession there. <sighs> Do not be careful with these headphones, man. You can injure yourself. There should be like a label on these things or something. Oh, just a just a Jacob <laughs> label. That was really great. I needed that considering it was like 30 and I had to scrape my windshield. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to start the morning lately. I'm, I'm sure it's going to be up to like 87 degrees tomorrow because just the way things have been going lately. Yeah, I haven't seen that, but I sure would. I sure would appreciate it. But you know what? You know how we I- escape from this fake spring, Jacob? Well, how, how would we do that, Michelle? I think there is no better way than speculative fiction. <laughs> I like where your head's at there. <laughs> Was that smooth? That's, that's very well done. I'm very impressed. All right, there's a lot to talk about because I keep hearing about it, and I was finally like, what the heck is it? So speculative fiction. It is often used as an umbrella term for genre fictions or for narratives that do not fully belong in a particular science fiction or fantasy genre. I've even seen it referred to as like a super genre for its broadness. So under this classification, it can include literary fiction with fantastical elements, as well as hardcore science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Also, there is a distinction that not all of certain genres, such as horror or science fiction, is speculative. So I feel like it's a little bit confusing. Yeah, that's a very uh, specific definition that they have for this genre. Yeah, even though you're like, but wait, isn't that everything? You just want to get out your, like, professor hat and be like, you're getting a tad bit pedantic with this explanation. A little bit. So a lot of debate about what books actually fall under the label of speculative fiction. I'm actually giving you, like, the dictionary definition of it, which is a broad literary genre encompassing any fiction with supernatural, fantastical, or futuristic elements, which really means that all of our favorite fantasy, sci-fi, dystopian books are technically speculative fiction. So like Handmaid's Tale, 1984, Hunger Games, etc. Those would be considered speculative fiction. Yeah, so, you know, something like, like Hunger Games. Yeah, that's our future. That definitely seems like that's a very possible yeah, future. Yeah, I feel right like there. Margaret Atwood's really big where it's like she's like, I never wrote anything... That was like completely couldn't happen. It was kind of based on pockets of history of things that did happen and could happen again. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's an interesting genre for sure. It's not it's actually I was reading some of the descriptions of some of the stuff we were looking up and a lot of them actually look like they're going to be pretty good. A lot of them are in development for like your Netflix. I was just going to say primes. they all sound they all sound like TV shows. So. Um, People argue that speculative fiction originated when poets and writers began to compose their own reimaginings about, like, what-if stories from around the world, Mm -hmm. which is really old. People have been doing that forever. Um, But I did see in the Oxford uh, Research Encyclopedia on speculative fiction, the term itself was coined by Robert Heinlein in 1941 and then popularized in his 1947 essay on the writing of speculative fiction. Okay. So getting out Robert Heinlein got some Starship Troopers info coming in here. I was, yeah, I'm a big he fan was, of that. So I mean, it's a good. I think 
it's always nice to sit down and kind of ponder the term to speculate, um, to theorize, to question what if this happened or what if the world were this way? Because that's often the seedlings of speculative fiction stories. Yeah. And I, you know, who is better to ask those questions than science fiction and horror and fantasy? So. And what if? I always find what ifs to be a very fun like genre to go into. Oh like, yeah. Just change one, like the little butterfly effect. You have the one thing that happens, and then all these other things go horribly wrong. Oh, remember that movie Butterfly Effect? I do remember that. That was a good ter- movie. Well, remember the? You Were you going to say terrible? I well, here's the thing. I saw like the director's cut, which I thought was pretty good, and then the original cut was a little, a little less good. I thought oh, it was the director's cut ending was a, a little too severe for me. Well, that's what I liked. It was a downer oh. ending. If you, it was like beyond a downer. <laughs> c- compare the endings of Butterfly Effect, everybody, and let us know what you think. <laughs> yeah, but so I don't know. With the the roster of speculative fiction is growing and evolving every year. You probably see it popping up more in articles and are like, "What is this?" And I think it's easy for like an amazing backlist of titles to just kind of get stuck beneath the pile. So we're here to help and, and actually, suggest some. And now that I'm thinking about it, this leads in nicely to Doctor Strange 2, which comes out uh, next week. Because that one is all about like multi-dimensions and other stuff happening and what-ifs. Your boy Krasinski's about to make his debut. I know you're happy about really? that. Really? That's the word. Yeah, he's about to show up for this one for the first time. So As some sort of superhero? Mm-hmm. As uh, Mr. Fantastic, leader of the Fantastic Four. What a terrible name, Mr. Fantastic. It's actually a really cool character. He gets to be a really big bad guy later on. It's oh. going to be pretty fun. We to see John Krasinski take over the world. I mean, I did see 10 minutes of the first movie on an airplane before I was like, no, I can't. Well, I can't you, do that. You made it 10 minutes in. I'm, I'm proud of you. <laughs> I just wanted to see Tilda. That's all I'm ever looking Tilda for. Tilda Swinton, and you wanted to hear the Cumberbatch accent. I am a doctor from Brooklyn. I just... <laughs> I know it's my fault, but I want to love him the way everyone loves him, and I just don't. I just don't. He looks like a weird bug, and I don't know. I can't. I can't well, get he, over he it. He definitely has a praying mantis esque face. Thank you. You yeah. see it, right? No, no. I don't think that's ever. I thought didn't think he was a real guy for the longest time. <laughs> like these guys wearing makeup, and this is just like a character somebody's doing. There's no way somebody. I'm not looks judging like, someone just on their looks. I just am not ever blown away by any of his performances. I don't know why. Yeah. I'm sure eventually we'll have the Cumbercast is going to happen on this show. But not today, I'll tell you that. Definitely not today. So let's <laughs> hop into these books. I'm going to start with the one I was most excited about, and I just got yesterday, and I'm already like a quarter of the way through. Oh. Very good. It is Sea of Tranquility by Emily St. John Maddell. Um, this is, they're saying, the New York Times said this is one of her finest and most satisfying forays into the arena of speculative fiction, which is kind of like her bag. Okay. Um, so the book is about, oh, do you know, do you remember Station Eleven? And then I never watched. I never watched it, but I do remember. That's it. the author of it. Oh, okay. Um, okay, so the book is that Edwin St. Andrew is 18 years old when he crosses the Atlantic by steamship. He was exiled from polite society following this ill-conceived diatribe at a dinner party. <laughs> That'll happen. Now he enters a forest. He's spellbound by the beauty of the Canadian wilderness, and then suddenly he hears the notes of a violin echoing in an airship terminal. Mm. This is an experience that shocks him to his core. Now, two centuries later, a famous writer named Olive Lewin, let me, how would you say that? Uh, Lewin, yeah. You just got Lewin? It. Yeah. It's just so Lu- many Lewin, letters maybe. in that. That's a Cormac McCarthy name if I've ever <laughs> seen one. Is on a book tour. She's traveling all over Earth but her home is on the second moon colony, a place of white stone, inspired towers, and artificial beauty. And within the text of Olive's best-selling pandemic novel Mm. lies a strange passage. 
a man plays his violin for change in the echoing corridor of an airship terminal as the trees of a forest rise around him. As if this description isn't confusing enough, you had to have music. Yeah, I know. My phone goes off right in the middle of describing it. And then the last bit is when Gasberry, a detective um, from the Black Sky Night City, please stay with me, is hired to investigate an anomaly in the North American wilderness. He uncovers a series of lives upended. He discovers the exiled son of the Earl, driven to madness, a writer trapped far from home as a pandemic ravages Earth, and a childhood friend from the Night City. It, I know, it sounds very, very convoluted, but it is a novel, obviously, of time travel and metaphysics that precisely captures the reality of our real current moment in life. And I promise you, she's an excellent writer. I that don't know how to make on. that description sound better or make more sense. I, I didn't know how. You, it's, well, it gives you an idea. They threw everything in that one. That's like an, um, a producer that's like, I get one season on the show, so we're doing all the storylines. And I'm episodes. sure this is her second <clears throat> book, The Glass Hotels, also becoming a show. I'm not surprised. I, like, Emily's doing just fine. I really do think that like everything that we're talking about here is going to be a show or a movie at some point. I mean, speculative fiction is great for that, but a lot of these descriptions, they're going to be a little confusing, so try to follow you know, as much as you can and just see if it grabs you at all. Yeah, so we'll see. That's why we do the show. We give you our recommendations. And I'm going to not know any of these character names. They're all going to be like weird <laughs> aliens. <laughs> All right, so, uh, all right, I'm going to go with another uplifting little speculative fiction tale. <laughs> going to go with Tender is the Flesh by Augustina Basterica. I think I got that right. I like the title. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's a good title. That's cool, and when, yeah. you re- when you hear what it's about, oh, you're going to be more interested. So okay. something happens. They're not sure what. There's some kind of catastrophe, but now all animals on Earth are poisonous to humans. So um, humans can't eat meat anymore. I'm okay with that. So instead of becoming vegetarians, what do we decide <laughs> to do? That's right. They decide to say it's no longer illegal to eat processed human meat. It <gasps> just has to be done by the government. So Whoa. this uh, story follows uh, Marcos, who lo- works at the local human processing plant. Oh uh, my <laughs> Oh his his wife left him. His father is seeking into dementia, and he's uh you know he's trying not to think too hard about what he does to make it's it not a living. great life. Um, so once the virus starts hitting in, he has his family members that come to live with him. There's another virus. Well, it's the virus like you know um the human. Oh, that killed that. Gotcha, yeah, gotcha. so everybody's like dying out. They come to live with him, and it starts getting a little bit more Texas Chainsaw Massacre-y as he starts to get a little obsessive. He starts to, you know, go a little more nuts considering his job is to literally cut up humans and process them for people wow. to eat. And he's, I'm kind of into that. Yeah, and then his um, the people that come visit him, they're having like um, he doesn't have his child anymore who died in an accident, which is another whole other thing. But his cousin that's coming, she's pregnant, so. I'm sure nothing horrible is going to happen with that <laughs> whole scenario. So this one I read, it was like, I didn't know what I thought was going to be, this book was going to be about when I looked at the title and grabbed it. And then when I'm reading, oh, we get uh, Soiling Green-esque cannibalism. Yeah. We got a dude going nuts uh, because of his horrible, horrible job. Uh, a world in disarray that's gotten to the point where 
we the humans would rather eat. <laughs> what is going on over Why here? Can't you just turn the ringer off? <laughs> That's a good question. Humans would literally rather eat other humans than just become vegetarian. So, like That's speculative fiction because it's kind of based in reality because that doesn't even sound that bananas to me. No, I could totally see a situation where people are like, "Oh, we're just going to go ahead and have people get eaten cuz you know, I'm you think I'm eating cucumbers and We've got needs. Yeah, I am I would eat your face before I would touch a Brussels sprout. You understand? Well, that, I mean, that is debatable. Yeah, I don't ever want to eat I a Brussels once, sprout. I think I once stubbornly sat at a dinner table for like five hours because I'm like, I'm not touching that Brussels sprout. So dad was like, you're not leaving the table till you eat that Brussels sprout. And I'm like, oh, game on, my friend. Oh, they're so gross. Shout out to um, coworker Jordan for one time heating up his leftover Brussels sprouts in the department micro- microwave. Mm, that was the real MVP right there. That <laughs> You're lucky that was ever forgiven. Okay, so that sounds awesome. Um, next book is called Silver in the Wood by Emily Tesh. This is just a novella, so it's 92 pages. Okay. But it is the winner of the 2020 World Fantasy Award. Um, so there is a wild man who lives in the deep quiet of Green Hollow, and he listens to the wood. So Tobias is tethered to the forest. He doesn't dwell in the past, but he lives perfectly this unremarkable existence with his cottage, his cat, and his dryads, which if you don't know what that is, those are like nymphs that inhabit a forest or a tree. Okay. Okay. I did not know what they were, so thanks for that description. You are welcome. So when Green Hollow Hall acquires a handsome, intensely curious new owner, in Henry Silver, everything changes, and it's one of those old secrets are better left buried, but they end up being dug up, and Tobias is forced to reckon with his troubled past, both the green magic of the woods and the dark things that rest in its heart. Um, I really, anything that involves trees and woods, I'm super into, but, you know, when things are big award winners, and it's nice and short, how can you not? Uh, yeah. You can finish. That's a one-day yeah, it's like, you know, you check out The Mist or something. You're like, I'm going to read something that's nice short. It's got a nice little idea. There's environmentalism going on there. This seems like it's the first in probably maybe a trilogy. So I have a feeling a lot of the stuff, like, I know at least two of my books are like, I mean, fantasy slash sci-fi-esque, absolutely. That's pretty common. Everybody's looking for content, man. you got to get it out there. <laughs> All right, so uh, I'm going to go with one of our favorite authors who we've talked about before. i got a Jeff Vandermeer book, the guy who brought us oh, Annihilation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, definitely coming to Netflix, by the way. Hummingbird Salamander. You heard anything about this one? I haven't. Surpri- I mean, I knew it was coming, but I don't know anything about it. All right. So this is Vandermeer apparently coming at his dazzling cinematic best uh, with a book that brings together wildlife smugglers, an amoral energy company, and an extremist apocalyptic vision of the world. I'm sorry. Is this fake? Because it all sounds on point. kind of does, actually. <laughs> so uh, Jane Smith, of course, we got to do with the mysterious protagonist. Um, she receives an um, envelope that contains a note from a woman she doesn't know and a key to an anonymous storage unit. Tip mm. number one, when you get that, you don't go to that storage unit mm. because nothing good's going to happen. <laughs> Uh, so what it does is it leads her to a pair of taxidermied animals, a hummingbird and a salamander, okay. which in this future are two of the rarest uh, endangered creatures on Earth. Mm-hmm. So as happens when you find taxidermied salamanders, <laughs> uh, events quickly spin out of control. She gets uh, followed by some people. She gets her home surveilled. Uh-oh. Her family's put in peril. Uh, and the only lead to come to what's going on is already dead. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so... 
oh, this sounds like it's going to be a good mystery little novel going on. There's, His books are weird for sure. Oh, they definitely are. So it's going to have some kind of like apocalyptic thing that's going to happen. We're going to find out why it happens. Just judging by a hummingbird and a salamander, I'm going to assume that it's probably human caused on purpose, which yeah. is basically already and we know what's going to happen. There. I will say, I don't know, whatever publisher he works with, they always find the best cover artists. I feel like I really enjoy all of the art on his books. I'm yeah. excited to see what this one looks like. Yeah, and hopefully, oof, you think he's going to bring back Nightmare Bear in this in this oh, one? Please, I don't want to talk about Nightmare Bear. That's <laughs> so scary. <laughs> you know, because you mentioned animals and they keep coming up because I think that's a huge thing that's on everyone's mind. I'm going to talk about this book. This is called Tears of the Truffle Pig Okay. by nice. Fernando A. Flores. I'm about halfway through this book. It's something. I'm going to say that. All right. So let's get it. We're in a kind of a parallel universe, we'll say. We're in South right. Texas, a third oh, border that, wall. That's definitely a parallel <laughs> yes. universe. You got that right. A third border wall might be erected between the U.S. and Mexico. Narcotics are legal, but there is a new contraband on the market, filtered animals. So these are oh. species of animals that are brought back from extinction to amuse the very wealthy. Oh, like, okay. You can get Jurassic Park again. All right. Pretty much, yeah. So we have Esteban Bellicosa. He's lived in the border town of MacArthur long enough to know to keep quiet and avoid the dangers of the syndicates who make their money through trafficking. But his simple life gets really complicated after this journalist invites him to an underground dinner at which filtered animals are served. So Bellicosa soon finds himself in the middle of an increasingly perilous and surreal journey, and along the way he encounters the legends of the long-disappeared Ariana Indian tribe and their object of worship, the mysterious truffle pig, said no. to possess strange powers. So it's one of those books of really bold imagination. It's got super oddball humor, um, and it's like an absurdist take on life along the border. It has odes to Mexican culture. Um, and yeah, I think an introduction to a smart new voice in American fiction. A little advice. If anybody ever takes you to a reservation where there is a truffle pig that they are <laughs> worshiping, you probably you want to get, to get out. out of there as quickly as possible. To, you need to get the heck out. <laughs> That's a pretty cool little description, man. I'm actually kind of interested about that one. Yeah, it's it's like I said, it's it's weird. His, his writing style is very interesting, but it keeps you going. Yeah. Actually, you know what? I thought we were going to be kind of crapping on some of these books, but I'm actually no, kind they of like... No, I mean, I definitely kind of, kind of added a bunch, ideas, uh, some of them that I wasn't familiar with to my Goodreads. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, check these all out, everybody. Yeah. It's what we do on the show. We wouldn't steer you wrong. We sure wouldn't. <laughs> At least I mean, not we on might, purpose. but <laughs> that's really it. All right, so the next one I'm going with is Zero Sum Game by S.L. Huang. Okay. It's um, part one of a series. They already have number one right on the top there. So this book is about Kaz Russell, who is uh, really good at math. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, really good at math. So, she actually is like a super powered kind of person. Um, she thinks she's the only person in the world that has these kind of superpowers. Um, but then she goes ahead and finds somebody who has something that's a lot more dangerous than her own. Sounds like little X Men babies. Oh, that's a good idea. So, uh, so this person, the other one, she can like reach directly into people's minds and kind of pull out the information and mm. can do it. So, Kaz with her like you know speed powers she's trying to think like do i run away from this person do i try to go against them because they can attack me so it's kind of like a story of she has to figure out like what's the best way to handle this new situation with this new unknown mutant mm -hmm. that's popping up it's just like seems like it's a good setup for a book that they're just kind of going to go lead into like a bigger world by the second and third one like okay. they don't have a lot of in the description here about what it is sometimes that's nice yeah so 
when you have um, superpower people working as mercenaries, I'm going to be very curious to see if it's going to be kind of like a mutant situation where they're born with it, or it if it's going to be, gonna like, be the like boys. Oh yeah, where they, yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Like, oh, yeah. there's some evil corporation that's giving people superpowers, which you know, it's kind of cool. It's cool on the boys. It's yeah, gonna be cool on this. I like that show. So, so go check it out, everyone. I'm sure coming to a screen near you. Okay. <laughs> so this book is called Lakewood by Megan Giddens. This was the NPR book of the year in 2020. Okay. Um, and it's a really startling debut. It's about class and race, and it kind of evokes the world of medical experimentation, kind of part Handmaid's Tale and part immortal life of Henrietta Lacks. Okay. So when Lena Johnson's beloved grandmother dies and the full extent of the family debt is revealed um, the black millennial drops out of college to support her family and take a job in the mysterious and remote town of Lakewood, Michigan. And on paper, her new job is too good to be true. It's high paying. There's no out-of-pocket medical expensive. It's a free pace, place to live. Okay. All she has to do is participate in a secret program and lie to her friends and family about the <laughs> research that is done at Lakewood. They have like an eye drop that makes brown eyes blue, a medication that could be a cure for dementia, golden pills that promise to make all bad thoughts go away. Mm. So the discoveries made in Lakewood, Lena is told, are gonna change the world. But the consequences for the subjects involved could be devastating. And as the truths of the program start to reveal themselves, Lena learns, you know, how much she's willing to sacrifice for the sake of her family. So it's kind of like a thriller. It's very provocative. Um, and it's one of those unflinching looks at the moral dilemmas of many working class families of the things that they have to do. I mean, people that literally do sign up for scientific experiments because they need money. Mm -hmm. And the horror that has been forced on black bodies in the name of science. Um, you know, we mentioned The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. If you've never read that, it's an excellent nonfiction book. Um, this this book sounds awesome. It does. It sounds really cool. I actually. can see why it was an award winner, and you should definitely check out Lakewood. Yeah, the lovely, lovely history of human experimentation in the United States. It's, yeah, it's it's a whole thing, everybody. It's, yeah, wanna, especially for Black people. So you, it's not great. You talk about something you wish was a uh, speculative piece of fiction. Yeah. not so much, Think, unfortunately. Oh, that happened. Cool. All right, I grabbed this one because it sounded awfully like Bloodborne, and I am all about that idea. Bloodborne? It's a pretty pretty uh, famous video game, so oh, okay. I would expect I was you to like, know I do not know what that is. All right, so this one is The Monster of Eldenhaven by Jennifer Giesbrecht. I'm sorry. Yeah, definitely yeah. Giesbrecht. We're going to go with that. Why not? <laughs> so the city of uh, Eldenhaven uh, is on the edge of the ocean. Uh, it's been racked by plague, abandoned by the rest of the country. It's been stripped of all its industry and just left to die. But, of course... Not everything dies so easily. So mm. there is a monster that has taken the citizens of this town and twisted them into these horrible kind of creatures with, like, long fingers and stuff. That I are hate all long fingers, Jacob. Long fingers and long limbs. It's a creepy, creepy look, That's man. That's a thing for me. I don't like it. So it basically is twisting the citizens and is having them do his bidding by going around the city and kind of collecting up anybody else who happens to uh, be roaming about, uh, you know, um, the guy, it gets worse and worse for these people as they go on because the longer that they're under the control, the more twisted and the more grotesque oh. they get to look. So basically, it's just about this one creature that is determined to get revenge on everybody who kind of like wronged the city and its sure. residents, even though he's kind of doing a lot himself. But anybody that's um, wronged this city and um, it wants to make sure that this one 
uh, suffers, even if they have to destroy the whole world to do it. So we're talking about, like, we got monsters coming in here. It's a vampire-esque twist. Wow. There's going to be some supernatural, like, Lovecraftian stuff going on. That's kind of why I'm interested about it. That was, like, in Bloodborne, if you've never heard, it's kind of like these creatures and monsters that you can't really think of where they came from. The Eldritch thing okay. is going on. So that that's kind of the hint I get with this one. So I'm always um, like those when you get those unseen universal terrors coming down and wrecking havoc on the earth so well that's funny because one of the books i picked i picked specifically for you oh did that you? i felt like this was and it's similar Ooh, i like that so this is frankenstein in baghdad okay. by ahmed sawad sadawi sadawi that's it nailed it this was a man booker international prize finalist so we have the rubble strewn streets of u.s occupied baghdad and we have hadi a scavenger and an oddball fixture at the local cafe who collects human body parts All right. and stitches them together to create a corpse. As one would do. His goal, he claims, is for the government to recognize the parts as people and to give them a proper burial. But when the corpse goes missing, a wave of eerie murders sweeps the city and reports stream in of this really horrendous-looking criminal who though shot, doesn't seem to be killed. So Hadi soon realizes that he has created a monster, one that needs human flesh to survive, um, first from the guilty and then from anyone in its path. So we got like some white knuckle horror and black humor, and it's really a surreal reality of contemporary Iraq of like the amount of bodies and the horrible, I think, things that have happened. So this is the way the author is kind of explaining that. But it sounds awesome. It does sound awesome. You don't really hear about many of these like zombie tales going on. In, no, uh, especially East, not so. like and not like a reimagined sort of Frankenstein-esque tale. So I, I really like that. I always get the uh, the Michael Scott like uh, awkward look. I'm like, you know, when he's like, yeah, <laughs> when, when you have something that happens like, oh, man, I stitched body parts together and they came back to life. Oh, I wonder if this is going to reflect badly on me. <laughs> yeah. When, when this is all done. Did I make poor judgment? Maybe, <laughs> oh, oh, so I shouldn't have messed with nature and brought, well, you know what? Oh, I got egg on my face on this one. I'll, I'll, know, I'll know for next time. Boy, I have egg on my face <laughs> that I made a monster yeah. from the dead. Yeah, you know what? You know what? I'll take credit for this one, everybody. My <laughs> bad. That's, that's hilarious. <laughs> oh, okay. So. Let's do one, do one more. Yeah, I'll do one more. Uh, so this one uh, is Trail of Lightning uh, by Rebecca Roanhorse. So, good title. Most of the world has drowned beneath the sudden rising waters of a climate apocalypse. Hey. Yep. <laughs> so, Dinita a, uh, is a um, former Navajo reservation. I was going to say it sounded like a native author yeah. name. Uh, has been reborn, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, gods and heroes are both walking the land. There's the monsters running around, too. So, uh, Maggie Hosky is a monster hunter and supernaturally gifted at doing so. You always so got to have a monster hunter. It's very important, man. Very important. <laughs> well, who's going to deal with all these monsters? Hey. Not the monster hunter. Uh, so, when a small town needs help finding a missing girl, Maggie is their last and best hope. But when she gets there, what she uncovers about the monster is much larger and more terrifying than anything mm. she could have imagined. So, she's got to go through like ancient legends, she's got to go with like local customs. She has to go to one of her old mentors um, who's around to give her a hand with this to find out what is the origin of all these monsters and 
death and destruction going on. Sounds a little more Jacoby than Michelle, but I respect it. Oh, everything in here is going to be a lot more <laughs> Jacoby. There's creatures and monsters running around. If there's a chance for a guy in a rubber suit, you know I am all about <laughs> so it. Um, but yeah, go check that one out, everybody. It sounds like it's going to be pretty cool. So weird. Um, okay, last one from me here is a psalm for the wild built. This is also going to be a series. The series is called Monk and Robot. Um, mm. The book is by Becky Chambers, who is a Hugo Award winner in the past. So okay. she knows what she's doing. So it has been centuries since the robots of Panga gained self-awareness and laid down their tools. And then centuries since they wandered in mass into the wilderness, never to be seen again. And centuries since they faded into myth and urban legend. Okay. So the robots were like, we done. Yeah, we're out of here. We're going to the woods. So one day, the life of a tea monk is upended by the arrival of a robot. Mm -hmm. And he's there to honor the old promise of checking in. The robot cannot go back until the question of what do people need is answered. So kind of probably what it was set up to originally do. But the answer to that question depends on who you ask and how, and they're going to need to ask it a lot. And so the series is kind of about in a world where people have what they want, does having more matter? And I'd like to say no. Can we stop trying to have more of everything? I'm looking directly at you, Elon Musk. Yeah, don't need it, don't want it. Oh, we can talk about that in, after the show. Ew. That's some fun stuff I'd like to that. just never speak of any of these people again. But I would say that we're pretty much out of time speculatively. Did that work? I think it's happening. No, it's literally. It's <laughs> okay, why don't you plug us up? So if you are looking to get some old speculative fiction going to your own, get your mind open to other worlds, you know where's a good place to do that? Mm. Your local library. We oh, got Molly. 37 branches all throughout Erie County. Stop on by and say hi and say you're looking for some fiction. And you're like, well, you came to the right place, my friend. Don't forget to visit our website at www.buffalolib.org. See what kind of programs we got going on now that the weather is allegedly turning for the better. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at All Booked Up Pod and let us know what kind of speculative fiction you are checking out this weekend. I would like that. So I was looking for some of the weirdest facts that would maybe pop up in speculative fiction. I think I found them. Okay. Did you know there is a company that turns dead bodies into ocean reef? Really? Yeah. So well, that's creepy. Yeah. If you've ever romanticized burial at sea, Eternal Reefs is the company for you. So it mixes the cremated remains of a person with concrete to create a quote unquote pearl onto which loved ones can etch personal messages, handprints, um, other envir environmentally friendly mementos. And the pearl is then encased in a reef ball that is dropped into the sea where it provides a new habitat for fish and other sea life, helping encourage a vibrant ecosystem. Hmm. I feel like there's something wrong with me, Michelle, because I was kind of hoping that it was some kind of like House that Jack built-esque kind of morbid thing that they're dropping into the, the ocean for the reefs. You but would, because you're a weirdo. I but guess I like, that, that's the circle of life at work there. Yeah, the, what, what you're saying, that makes much more sense. It is much less gruesome. So it sounds cool, though. Did you know that spider webs were used as bandages in ancient times? In no. ancient Greece and Rome, doctors used spider webs to make bandages for their patients because they were supposedly had natural antiseptic and antifungal properties, which will keep a wound clean and prevent infection. It is also said that spider webs are rich in vitamin K, which helps promote clotting. Hmm. I wonder if any of that is true. No, it is. Next time you're on a Band-Aid, just head to the attic. <laughs> yeah, just like hold a spider and just like stand there for an hour and be like, come on, what are you doing here? Get your 
Webacillin. Oh my goodness gracious. That's, huh? a, that's a Jacob <laughs> joke. I didn't even write that one. I know, it's rubbing off on me. And my favorite, the inventors of the Pringles can is now buried in one. That's awesome. Yeah. So in 1966, Frederick Bauer developed the ingenious idea, idea for Procter & Gamble to uniformly stack chips inside of a can instead of tossing them in a bag, a doy. He was so proud of his invention that he wanted to take it to the grave, literally. He communicated his burial wishes to his family, and when he died at 89, his children stopped at Walgreens on the way to the funeral home to buy his burial Pringles can. All right, can I just say, you could probably go to the Pringles company and get a clean can. You don't have to get a used one. Like, would you want one that doesn't have like sour cream and onion dust? Well, they on the said inside? that they really debated over the flavor to use, but they said, Spicy "Look, nacho. we need to use the original." So he is buried in American classic. Okay, I love it. <laughs> okay. I love it so much. <laughs> if you next time, you, if your one of your relatives is uh, did create a food stuff. Just contact the, the company. They'll give you a fresh one. Don't worry about it. If you can imagine it, you can do it. All right. That's all for us today. Thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time. Bye.